welcome back to the Dad Chronicle. I'm your host, Alex Albisu. This is episode 118, and we're back with a baby this time and my wife. It's Deanna. Hi, Deanna. Hi. All right. We're here to, uh, and we're very tired. Yeah. Very tired. But we had a baby. We did. Let's clap for that. Yay. 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 We're here with baby Jacob Alexander. And he is asleep on the couch as we're recording this. Uh, Finn is very concerned, our dog, um, and he is constantly following us around. And we are a little bit jet lagged, feeling a little exhausted, trying to take care of not just one, but two kids now. And we wanted to take a moment to just share a little bit of what happened over the past um, week, because we're recording this a week after his birth, and uh, he was born on November 12th at 7.03, shoot, I was so close, 7.02 p.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eastern time, that is, and weighing in at nine pounds even, 22 inches long, 21 inches. Oh, gosh, so close, so close. Sorry, <laughs> Deanna's sitting over there giving me giving me pointers. But we're, uh, we wanted to share a little bit of what happened on that day because I think that there are some takeaways that are important to the audience to, to hear about some of our state of mind, some of the ways that nurses are uh, really helpful. And especially in the case of Jake, uh, may have saved his life during the delivery of, of him on that night. So want to um, kind of share some of that takeaway there, but also check in with you, Deanna. How are you? I'm doing okay. Yeah? Yeah. A lot. There's a lot, but... I know. We're doing good. We're getting there. Yeah. Postpartum stuff. Not just, you know, when people think postpartum, sometimes it immediately goes to depression. But yeah. the postpartum health care, physical. physical stuff for women is a whole other thing. And Deanna's recovering well. Um, she was a champion, guys. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And why don't we do that? So let's jump into a week ago. Um, and it was actually a, a week and a day ago. Mm-hmm. You and I left for the hospital. Mm-hmm. We were uh, scheduled for a scheduled induction, yep. right? At And we were supposed to get to the hospital at 730 uh, in, in the evening. Yep. So that you could start getting, you know, inspected and, and they could start figuring out what the battle plan was to induce. But why don't you talk about why it is that we had a scheduled induction rather than just letting him go to full term because we actually scheduled him at uh, for 39 weeks instead of 40 weeks. Right. So his due date was technically November 19th. Um, but because Aria was such a large baby, um, they had started talking to us when we were 12 weeks long about we we will allow you to induce at 39 weeks. Like that doesn't mean 38 weeks and six days. That means on 39 weeks. That is the earliest we will allow you to induce. And our doctors actually recommended doing that because of how large Aria was. Um, as a gentle reminder, Aria was nine pounds, one ounce, 21 inches long, and four days late. Yeah. And Jake was nine pounds even, 21 inches long, and a week early. So you could imagine, people at home, if you're doing the math, he was going to be huge if he went full term. And there was also concern about Deanna being able to deliver, you know, naturally from that, right? So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we we kind of had gone into this whole thing of like, well, we will most likely do the scheduled induction. Um, again, this is a not a scheduled C-section. I We did not do a C-section. Right. Um, so we 
the reason we had to go in the night before, though, was because we did this with Aria as well. My body wasn't progressing on its own. I wasn't dilating. I wasn't doing anything. He also wasn't technically dropping. Um, and what all that means for everybody at home is that, you know, the baby has to get into position. He he has to work his way down the birth canal, the birth canal so that he can be ready to be born. Aria didn't really do that nope. when she was uh, when she was born either. So we had a history of that, and there was concern about that. We wanted to avoid having a C-section if possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, as far as dilation goes, you know, that's how, you know, dilated the cervix is, which is where, you know, the kind of baby's coming through. But it's going to be, you know, it has to be up to 10 centimeters. Yep, and, and then there's not, other things too, but yeah. I wasn't... I was zero. Yeah, you're at zero. And even when we showed up on Wednesday night at the hospital, um, I was still at zero. Yeah. So we get to the hospital, 730. They do a pretty good job checking us in. We Mm -hmm. head straight back. And uh, they do that inspection, realize that, and they put you on a little substance called Cervidil. Yep. So Cervidil is basically, I like to describe it as kind of, it looks kind of like a tampon in a way. And they basically just kind of put that up there. Yep. Um, And you're supposed to be on that all night and see kind of, you know, the next morning where you are. Because the next day is when you start what most people know for induction medication as Pitocin um, to kind of help get everything going. Yeah. Um, A lot of times the Cervidil does start you into labor. I'm pretty sure with Aria it did. Um, and it did with Jake too. It did technically with Jake. Uh, it wasn't as apparent yeah. with him um, because as soon as you get the Cervidil, you then have to be put on the monitors. Um, so I got put on two monitors and they're basically two monitors that are strapped around my stomach. One monitors the baby's heartbeat and one monitors the contractions. Um, and so once you got the medication, I had to be on the monitors for at least two hours to make sure the medication wasn't affecting the baby in any way. Um, during that time, they noticed that I was having contractions. And to be honest, these contractions really just kind of felt like menstrual cramps, not even like super severe ones. Um, so we just kind of wanted to wait it out, make sure he was okay yeah. after taking the medication. Yeah. And then you ended up getting off those, uh, those. Yeah. They ended up keeping me on them a little longer. Um, the nurse that night was concerned cause they say your second, Ha- uh, like you'll start your your labor and delivery for your second child is typically supposed to be typically uh, shorter than your first. And so because I was having some contractions, even though I wasn't really feeling them, the nurse that night really wanted to keep me on the monitors. Unfortunately, I wasn't sleeping um, yeah. because they kept coming in to check because his heartbeat kept doing weird things. But I think it was just because the monitors, they had different straps for the monitors, which wasn't leaving the monitors to in their place as well. Right. Um, so I was on the monitors from about eight o'clock, I think until 4am, yeah. 8pm till 4am. And finally at 4am, one of the other nurses came in and saw me uh, just sitting there watching Netflix on my phone. She's like, you need to get some sleep. I was like, I, I, I know, but I can't. Like, I, I think I slept for an hour and a half at that point. And it wasn't because I was in any pain. It just was like, it was uncomfortable. Again, you have these monitors strapped up to you. 
they keep coming in and moving the one monitor because his heartbeat keeps me- getting messed up. And um, and again, because I think it was the monitors, not because his heartbeat was actually right. a mess. Right. Um, so she finally, she left and then she came in. She's like, the doctor said, we can take you off. Like, you need to get some sleep. So I ended up then sleeping from probably about 4.30 to 6. Um, so, and then woke you up at about 6.45, I think. Yeah, and for the guys out there, the way that it works, at least in our hospital, and your mileage may vary, there was this chair that kind of turned into like a single bed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, Deanna was up, but I tried to get a little bit of sleep. It wasn't a need. There wasn't a need for me to be awake. No, there was um, nothing happening that you needed to be awake. Yeah, and it's really important. And we talk about this actually a bit on um in, in a previous episode where we talk about how to support your pregnant partner. And I've also talked about it a bit on the YouTube video that I created um, around, you know, five ways to, you know, k- kind of be preparing for your first child and, and some of that. So like, you know, a big part of it is you want to make sure that you have the energy that you need to support your partner that's giving birth. And a big part of that is sleep. So some people may be like, oh, man, but you should be up with her. No, 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 no. There was nothing that you needed to be up for. Like yeah. if I could have been sleeping, I would have been sleeping. You should be conserving your energy because there's a lot that you're going to have to do. And we'll talk about that next. Um, so, you know, morning hits and you are still not dilated. I was one centimeter. You were one centimeter. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So they came in around right. 7 a.m. to remove the cervidil. Right. And to check. Um, and I was one centimeter long. And so that's when they kind of get started on the whole, okay, we're going to start getting your Pitocin going at this point, just in the effort of talking about taking care of yourself as the, as the spouse in the room. Um, once they removed the Cervidil, that was when I kind of looked at you knowing that you are not someone who can go without food for too long. Um, and kind of said to you, like, why don't you go? I've got the nurses here. Yeah. Before they, as they're trying to get the Pitocin started and everything, you go grab breakfast. Yeah. For me, I get really bad acid reflux if I don't eat. I have a hiatal hernia. So like my esophagus is all sorts of messed up. And with that, I knew that I needed to get some food in me and Deanna could tell that as well. And so, you know, I went and did that and, and came right back and ate. Um, and mind you, we brought snacks and stuff, but it was one of those things that a substantial you, you need meal. a substantial yeah. breakfast. And yeah. unfortunately, I am not I was not allowed to eat after midnight. Nope. Um, so it was kind of one of those things. I was like, you go get food and, you know, come back and be ready to go. Yeah. And we ended up uh, you, you ended up getting the Pitocin. Yep, they started the Pitocin, I think, around like 8 or so. Yeah, and that Pitocin really kickstarts things. And you started mm-hmm. to feel quite a bit of pain. Yeah, so uh, the Pitocin is supposed to help, again, move the process along, make it happen more quickly. Um, so your contractions start coming on stronger. Your your body's supposed to start, you know, opening up more. And the baby's supposed to start dropping at that point. And um, definitely started feeling the contractions. And I think I went about two hours before I said uncle and was like, or yeah, an hour. Maybe it was about an hour. I think it was an hour. Yeah. Cause it was nine o'clock. I think is when I, when I called for the epidural. Yeah. So she gets an epidural and the epidural is, you know, a, if you don't know what it is, there's uh, a tube that gets put into your back and it feeds in, um, drugs that helps numb Mm -hmm. you and, and bring down the pain. 
So as soon as that happened, I mean, you were in good shape. I was in good shape for the, for the mid midday. Like it yeah, was for several hours. You're in good shape. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that was good. Um, and then about noon, so I was nine noon, noon, they, um, the doctor came in to check and see kind of where we were. Right. And at that point I was three centimeters. Yeah. Not a whole lot of, not a whole lot of progress made. So this was starting to become apparent that we were like, oh, okay, so this is supposed to be a quicker process. I thought we were going to have a kid by now, but well, nope. yeah, even I think our doctor thought so too, because with Aria, we did all of this exactly the same way with Aria. She just was four days late. So with Aria, by this point in the day, Aria was born at 3.30 in the afternoon, basically. Yeah. So we were kind of at a point where we're like, this is going to happen much sooner, you know, by maybe one o'clock, two o'clock, we'll have a, you know, a kid. And then at noon when it's three centimeters, I was like, okay. Yep. Um, so at that point, it's now start time to start like doing these different positions to help the baby drop more. Cause that was the other thing. He really wasn't dropping. So, you know, you get put on in different positions, kind of help my hips more open up. And bring him down. Yeah, and these positions look kind of like you're sitting in a you're sitting like in a chair, sort of a position. You could be on your side with this thing called a peanut ball in between your legs mm-hmm. to try to uh, open up your hips so that the baby starts to come down the birth canal Sorry. a little bit. That's okay. Uh, starts to come down the birth canal a little bit, and then there was a lot of that happening over several more hours. Yes, several between more hours. both nurses. Yeah. Um, we had two nurses in there, and we'll talk a little bit about the nurses because nurses are incredible and you guys do God's work. Um, but, I mean, before we do that, I, I think that it's worth kind of jumping to the point where you were starting to really feel it. Yeah, so it hit about 3 o'clock. The doctor came in to check. It was about 3 o'clock, and I was 8 centimeters. So we're like, okay, great. We went from 3 to 8 pretty quickly. Awesome. And you had asked... Um, the doctor, you know, how much longer do you think? And she goes, I think within the hour you'll, she'll be pushing. So we're like, awesome, cool. That happened three more times. Yes. We (laughs) were told that over three hours. Yeah. It'll be another hour. Uh, Mm -hmm. it'll be about an hour. And then you get to a point where you were nine and a half centimeters. Remember everybody at home, the, the goal is 10. The yeah. goal is 10 centimeters. Yeah. So it got to the point where she was basically coming in about every hour to check. And it was like you were hurting too. watching paint dry kind yeah. of thing because it was like, are you kidding me? And I just remember looking at the doctor and looking at Alex and just saying, I want to be done. I want to be done. At about five o'clock, I really started hurting. Like yeah. it, um, there's just a lot of pressure. Yeah, and you know, actually, that's worth talking about because the epidural we mentioned earlier really helps to manage that pain, um, but that doesn't take away not the, the pressure. pressure. Um, it does to an extent, but not a lot. It's not meant to take. You're not going to not feel anything. That's right. the thing to know. Like, it still is not comfortable, but it doesn't hurt. And they gave me a ton of epidural. Yeah, a ton um, of the medicine that was helpful, but. But it also makes my legs, it made my legs completely dead to the point that every time you guys needed me in a different position, I actually physically needed help. Yeah, I had to walk over, lift up your leg, which felt like a 10 pound, like 10 pounds heavier, yeah. right? Because it, it, like all that stuff, it feels like it's just 
pulling in your in your mm-hmm. legs and you have no additional way to support us to help support so there was it was it was a, a whole ordeal and this is what i was talking about like you know if you're out there supporting your pregnant partner through this this is where you need to have the energy to jump in and be a part of this process if you can and the other thing is you can't wait to be told what to do yeah so talk about that actually before we really jump into kind of like the last two hours yeah which was like kind of the hectic hectic part of it all Mm -hmm. um what were some of the things that you appreciated um day of in ways that i was able to support you that the nurses were able to support Mm -hmm. uh, that people at home listening to this can say okay that's something that i could potentially do for my partner yeah i mean it's just it's being as a spouse it's being tentative and you know when when the nurses come in pay attention to what they're talking about and if you have questions ask them yeah attentive yeah because um you know it's one of those things that there's so much going on with the person in labor that I just kind of, you know, not along with things and I'll ask questions if I think of them, but they're so focused on everything else that's going on them because they're getting hit. Like we're getting hit with a lot of questions from the nurses as well. Like, how do you feel? And it's one of those things that I know I'm the only one that can tell everybody what the pain level is, what, what the feelings are and things like that. But it's a, it's a, those are heavy questions and you're like, start, because they start asking you what's your pain level and you're like i mean i'm not comfortable could i handle more maybe i don't know like, they ask you like a scale of one to ten and you're like i don't know that's subjective like uh, yeah a three for me it could be a seven for somebody else or something well like and that. i'm also like i don't know maybe i maybe this is i say it's a five but maybe it's actually an eight and i can't handle more than this like you start to question all that and you don't know what else is coming right and i think a big part of it for me was jumping in and, and seeing how you, it was hard for you to answer some of those questions because you were also in the midst of all that pain. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to not answer for you, but kind of knowing you for the past, you know, uh, almost two decades that we've known each other. I was like, there has, like, this is kind of where I think you should answer Deanna. Like you're, you're really, really hurting. Um, Yeah. I'm also not the one to say if I'm in, I don't get sick. I don't. Right. Do, so I'm not one to say those things. So yeah. you are always someone who has to tell me to slow down or be true and honest with how I'm really feeling. Um, so and then. Um, yeah. So that's one thing. That's the main thing I would say. Like, don't even when she's on the epidural, just chill, don't just ignore everything that's going on in the room. Pay attention. Yeah. Like know what's happening listen to what they're saying because it, and again it's okay to ask questions but if you literally just ask the question that they just answered it, it gets, that shows that you're not engaged exactly. and not attentive and yeah. I, and I would say that one one other piece to this is going back to a previous episode where you and I talked about it asking what can I do for you mm-hmm. or um not a whole lot but you know a reasonable amount to to show engagement but also to you know like little things like I was going to get ice chips for yep. you um and and water and making sure that you were hydrated because remember when they're on the epidural they're not allowed out of the i was not out of that bed for almost 20 for over 24 hours right right so, so let's jump back into so mm-hmm. i hope that's helpful by the way for people at home if you're thinking like what are some of the things that i can be doing or the state of mind that i can bring mm-hmm. to that day that's something to think about so let's talk about those last uh two hours, two hours or so of 
hell. Yeah. So I would say at about five o'clock, I started feeling a lot of pressure. And they basically tell you when you start to feel like you could push or like you need to have a bowel movement of some sort. You need to poop. Yeah. Like that's what it feels like. Yeah. um, Let them know. And so at about five o'clock, I started to feel that, but I didn't want to tell them right away because I was like, I knew we had just only hit eight centimeters or so. And I was like, you know what? Let's just make sure that this isn't just like a fleeting feeling. It got to be about 530, 540. And I was like, this isn't a fleeting feeling. So when the nurse came in that time, I kind of let her know. And she's like, that's great. Like, let's get, you know, doctor in. Doctor came in. Nine and a half. Yep. Not ten. Nine and a half. Nine and a half. And so and I at this point, I'm I think I started crying. I don't I, I cried a lot. Um, at this point, they also had put me on oxygen at one point. Because yeah. of his heartbeat. So that was scaring me. Um, and then I started, when I was on oxygen that first time, I started shaking a lot. And so I had said to the nurse, well, the is this, is the oxygen making me, sh-? like, literally, like, chills, shaking. Like, it looked like somebody who was, uh, like, like that had influenza or something. Like, if you've ever had the flu, you, you shake. Uh, uncontrollably uncontrollably and that's what it was and you went through a few moments of that and and that is actually like a surge of hormones yeah so they say actually the nurse basically told me she was like no actually when you start shaking like that that's normally a sign for us that it's almost go time yeah because your hormones are starting to surge and it's starting to get to the point where it you know things are happening yeah so i was like okay um so but yeah we were nine and a half at about six o'clock again yeah and at this point, I'm in pain. A lot. Um, my hip is, my right hip is starting to feel things, which is something that happened with Aria as well. Um, not to not to the degree of Aria's, but I was pretty high on the epidural. I'm not like real high, but my legs were pretty yeah. dead. Yep. Um, but there was definitely some feeling in my in my right hip that had me crying. They actually had brought down. They had called the anesthesia the anesthesiologist numerous times asked if they could up my dosage. Um, and they did. And they did. Yeah, yep. they did. They took care of you. And it got to the point that they wanted the, actually the anesthesiologist to come down because they knew it was getting close to pushing. And they were, I think, concerned about my state because right. I was crying. Yep. They were like, she can't she can't go into actually pushing this baby out with how she's feeling. So the anesthesiologist comes down and ultimately finds that, you know, you're okay with like yeah, the way I'm, everything's pooling, uh, but to just to up your dosage a little bit. And so, you know, we get to a point where finally, after well, like during oh no, she, she came down and asked me a ton of questions, but I wasn't as coherent as I would have liked to be to answer those. Right. And apparently what had happened was all during the process, they take your vitals. And so, you know, your vitals are your blood pressure, your temp, all that kind of stuff. Right, right, right. And so as the day had gone on, um, my temp went from a 97 to about a 99 midday. Um, and during the anesthesiologist asking me these questions right afterwards, they went to take my vitals again. And this is at about, we're talking like five, 10 minutes before I start pushing. Right. And, um, they take my temp and they actually stopped taking my temp in my mouth because they like couldn't get an accurate read. Um, so they took it in my like my armpit yeah yep. and they took it in the armpit that i had just been laying on and the nurse was like oh we got a 100.7 here yep 
And I said, well, is it because I was just laying on that side? Like me, I, I, I'm telling two nurses and a doctor like, hey, maybe this is why my temperature. Maybe, maybe you should <laughs> learn how to do your job. And so I mean, we're, 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 we're kidding, of course. No, I like and I even said to them, I was like, you know, I'm not a nurse or a doctor. I don't know. And they're like, well, we'll check the other side, too. So they did. And actually, when they checked my left armpit, it was like 101.7. Yeah. So you were spiking a fever. Mm-hmm. And that's important to talk about because and we'll touch on that in a little bit. Um, but, you know, you, you start to get to a point where you're. 10 centimeters now. Yes, finally. Finally. And they're like, okay, it's go time. Yep. So uh, you start pushing at what time? 6.48. 6.48. You push for 15 minutes. Technically 14 14 minutes. minutes. Okay, sorry. I didn't mean to, you know. Yeah. Uh, 14 minutes. And I, so let's talk about that from my perspective. For people out there listening, thinking like, what are you going to do for, for your partner during that? Also, just so you know, they put me back on oxygen while I was pushing. Yeah. Yeah. Which was also scary. Yeah. So the whole time I'm watching Deanna on oxygen and I'm like, oh, Jesus. So uh, I had one leg. I had the right leg mm-hmm. like I did with Aria. Mm-hmm. The other nurse had the left leg and the the doctor was sitting there just kind of guiding, making sure the baby was coming out. Uh, when all this is happening, it took about 10 minutes to essentially kind of get to a point where I could see the baby crowning. I talked about this in the YouTube video. If you want to stay north of the border, you can, but if you want to see your baby come into the world, I encourage you to do so. Just know your own limits and what you're capable of as far as queasiness goes, because there's a lot that happens. Anyway, this little baby, uh, that I'm looking at right now, sitting on this couch, I see a head start to come out, and I notice, oh my gosh, look at all that hair. Not quite as much as Aria, but there's a, there's quite a bit of hair. And so he starts coming out, and then all of a sudden, they take this very blue-looking baby and plop him up immediately. They confirm it's a boy, by the way. We confirmed it's a boy. <laughs> and lay him on top of you, and he's not making any noise. No. And this is where, you know... Arya didn't make noise right away either, but it was a little bit of a different situation, and and it was and it's fine, obviously. But well, and they all, they all, like because of her situation, which was the umbilical cord being wrapped around her neck, they brought her straight over, like cut her out and brought her straight over. Yeah, to to the little table across the room where you know they just kind of like you know got her going and made sure she was kind of cleaned up because of that so when they and then plop- that was and it was fine yeah and so when they when all of a sudden he's on my chest i wasn't expecting that yeah and he was a little bit attentive like i could i could see that he but was, like looking up he was at looking me. up but he wasn't crying no, and that is a crying. very very bad sign apparently he did pee all over me yep he did pee um but he they were like shaking him and i just kept i remember freaking oxygen mask on and just saying, is he okay? Is he okay? Is he okay? Yep. Um, and all of a sudden a nurse grabs him and takes him over to that table. Like I've never seen somebody move so fast in their life. And I look at you, you look at me and you say, go. And mm-hmm. so I immediately walk over. Well, and that was a conversation you and I had had beforehand too, which yep. is something I would urge everyone to do. Um, especially now with, um, the fact during COVID times, Alex was the only one allowed in the room with me. Um, when Aria was born, my mom was there. 
So because after you have the baby, there's still other things that have to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It, and, and yeah. So, so somebody needs to be with the baby. Somebody should be with the mom. But Deanna and I discussed that. Hey, uh, just go with the baby. Yes. So I I went over there, especially we were concerned with how with what we just saw and how they kind of ripped him away from her and that he wasn't crying. And all of a sudden, I, you know, I make my way over there and I see them rubbing him really, really hard. And and then I won't ever forget what I saw and how I saw it and how quickly that nurse flipped up like the little glass plate and punched the code button. Like somebody's going into heart attack, mm-hmm. you know, mode. They called a code. And I f- froze and I was like, what do you mean he's coding? And so immediately 10, yeah, like, like, like almost a dozen doctors and nurses come rushing into the room. Deanna's laying on the bed. I get thrown into a corner of the room. And they're like, Dad, we need you out of the way. And I sit there and I'm, I, I, all I can do is just watch as these nurses on, next to Jake... There's like 10 people surrounding him, shaking him, trying to, you know, rub him. Mm-hmm. They have an oxygen mask on him. And one of the nurses is like, has it really been a minute? Has it really been a minute? We need to move. We need to move. And so through my entire thought process is if he's not breathing, there's going to be brain damage. So all of his other vitals were good. But but we didn't know that yet. Part of that is that we did not know that yet uh, for because we got as soon as they got there, it took roughly 10 to 15 seconds for them to say that mm, okay so they were like okay vitals are good vitals are good mm-hmm. which tells you that he that he has a heartbeat right which is good but he still wasn't breathing yeah which is which is a big part of it if he's not breathing there could be brain damage and we could potentially lose him mm-hmm. so i basically stood there my hands on my head sit, sitting in the corner just watching these people trying to save his life next to me laying on a bed is Deanna sobbing saying, is he okay? Is he okay? And it was extremely, extremely scary. The nurses uh, were one of the nurses, you know, was holding Deanna look like having her look her directly in the eyes saying you did nothing wrong. You did nothing wrong there. You did everything that you needed to do. And as I'm hearing that and as I'm watching what's happening on that table, my thought process goes straight back to earlier this year when we lost the baby. And then, my God, what's going to happen right now? And uh, it was it was one of the scariest moments of my life. And then all of a sudden, we hear a cry. And it took a little bit. It took roughly... Uh, it, it took about a minute and a half, but it felt like it felt like ages. Mm-hmm. It was very, very scary. So he, um, as soon as he starts crying, there's a sigh of relief. Like I have never felt so much pressure leave a room. And I've taken my share of, of flights. <laughs> like he, the the pressure that left the room uh, was like immeasurable. I, so. All of a sudden, that nurse that was standing by Deanna, holding her, looking at her in the eyes, comes walking over to me, puts her hands on my shoulder and says, you see, Dad? Dad, are you okay? 
and I'm not even. Lo- I'm looking through her at Jake, and all, I, I can't say anything. I'm. I, I'm just nodding my head. I'm nodding my head. I'm like, yeah, everything's fine. And so she says, you know, go to him. And so I walk up, and uh, and, and she goes. That nurse goes back to you and is explaining everything's fine. You see, like he's he's crying. That's good. That's good. And I walk up to that table, and I see him laying there just crying. Uh, his little whimpery, you know, sort of cry with his little, you know, Jake has a little bit of a, of like, a, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, like a little raspy, a little raspy shake of his, of dinosaur. his jaw. Yeah. He sounds a little bit like a pterodactyl. It's cute. And, and he was crying and that's all I could focus my time on. And there was this doctor that says, you know, he wasn't breathing at first. He was stunned. He was shocked. Mm-hmm. And this happens. And this is what I want to share with you, the audience today. These are the types of things that can happen on that day that you don't necessarily think is possible. Things that that you hear about from people who lose a baby on the day that they're born. And we, I, I felt like we were close to that. And obviously we're fine. We're on the other end of that. And we have a healthy, week-old baby sitting on the couch right there next to Deanna as we record this. And it's due to the quick help that we got from those nurses. Mm -hmm. And the one that you said grabbed her, she was with the two nurses we had all day were amazing. Um, The one that as you, the way you describe it is she went into warrior mode. She did was very quirky all day long. She was just very happy. Um, We'll call her Jay for the sake of. Yeah. Jay was very was very quirky and like happy go lucky and everything was good. Yeah, and uh, and you know you could tell that she was trying to bring a lot of positivity into everything and that was and that was fine. And mm-hmm. but then all of a sudden when he wasn't breathing and she ripped him away, I've never seen a one eighty in character mm-hmm. like I did with Jay mm-hmm. at that moment. Yeah. And I could tell that it was scary, but if there's anybody that was going to save his life, it was her. Yeah. Yeah. And she did, because as soon as he went over to that table, she put that oxygen mask on mm-hmm. and boom. Yep. And then Kay, yep. the other one, was you're basically like your support, your rock. Throughout she the was whole thing. basically my mom when my mom couldn't be there. Yeah. So and, and she was she was exactly those those two nurses were exactly what we needed yep. in that moment. And this is what I mean when I say, like, nurses, you do God's work. Because without you, that experience could have gone in a, a number of different directions, morbidly, also emotionally. Um, it, we, the, it, I, I, I'm lost for words, which is rare. Uh, I'm lost for words on what, on the impact that, that those two individuals had on our life on that day. So, um, nurses out there, thanks for everything that you do to make a difference in our lives. Um, you saved our kid's life and he's able to be here with us. And so now we have Jacob Alexander and he is a beautiful little blonde hair. <laughs> <laughs> he does not look like, uh, like my side. He looks like Deanna. It's, yeah. He is gorgeous. So if you've been following us on social media, you can see all the pictures and stuff. He's a good baby. Um, you know, as we left the hospital and everything, we had, um, you know, some jaundice tests, which is pretty common 
for kids, uh, for the, especially for the second kid, and is common when the kid has the father's blood type, not the mother's blood type, which is in this case. Yeah, something we learned, which was very interesting. Yeah, so... You know, jaundice, uh, according to the internet, just to just to kind of give you guys a little idea of what jaundice is, yellow skin caused by the buildup of bilirubin in the blood, and uh, jaundice may occur if the liver can't efficiently process red blood cells as they break down, and it's normal in healthy newborns, and usually clears up on its own, and at other ages, it is a, it, it may signal infection or liver disease. So this is a very common thing that happens. Sometimes the way that you have to fight it is that you actually have to put them under kind of like a blue, what they call a blue light. It's like a, a bright light for like, you know, a day or so. And then it just kind of goes out on its own. And, and you test the bilirubin levels by drawing a lot of blood from the baby and making sure that those levels are okay. Uh, over the course of the past you know week or so, there have been a ton of tests. We never had to put them under the light. The only thing that we did, and this is a good little hack for you guys, if you want to learn how... Uh, how to fight jaundice put your kid in the sun that's all it is you you, you know if it doesn't even have to be direct sunlight no just, just sunlight will help fight uh fight some of that and it worked well for jake he's um on the mend he never had to sit underneath one of those lights so um so that's you know that, that that's pretty cool and then we were able to bring him home on uh let's see november 14th yeah uh and yeah he, we we ended up staying uh, two more nights in the hospital. Typically, it's about 24 hours, but because of, A, the jaundice, potentially. Um, also, when you have a large size baby, um, they have to check blood sugar levels. So oh, that was yeah, another forgot, reason. Yeah. That was another reason they were, um, you know, taking his blood so often. Um, and then, so remember I mentioned I had spiked a fever right before pushing. Yeah. Um, the thing to note is my fever went down as soon as I was done. Um, so it sounds like my doctor thinks it might've just been a stress fever, but because I did have a fever, the other reason they were drawing his blood and wanted us to stay two nights was to make sure he did not get any infections. Right. So they were doing their due diligence. We did ours and it all worked out yep. fine and everybody's good. So we bring him home and he gets to meet Aria. Mm -hmm. And that was the coolest little thing. She says, uh, how did she describe him? Like when she walked up, she was very trepidatious. It's she, my boy. Yeah, and she walks up and she's laughing, her little nervous laugh. And mm -hmm. she says, it's my boy. Mm -hmm. And it was so sweet. The video of that is up on, on social media if you want to see it. Um, but we are so blessed. Mm -hmm. And people have been so supportive uh, between our parents, my sister and her family, uh, you know, friends um, who have been dropping off uh, food, our neighbors. It's been such a great experience. Um, even my work has, has been awesome. They sent me a little onesie from my company and mm -hmm. have just been checking in and stuff. So big thanks to everybody out there um, for, for all of your love and support in helping to make sure that baby Jake is welcomed into this world, especially all of the, the nurses and the doctors who made this possible. Mm -hmm. And big thanks to Deanna. Shout out to you. You did Thank all you. the work. Um, Thank you for your support. You're welcome. Now, let's talk about very quickly our state of mind. <laughs> Mentioned earlier, we're exhausted, very tired. And this is typical, but luckily we do have, I mean, I'm knocking on wood right now, but like he only wakes up a couple times a night. Right now, yeah. Right now. And uh, he's eating really well. He's not a fussy baby. 
he's really just a, a chill kid. Um, and so with that, I, I have some some hope and, and I, I feel good about it. Mm-hmm. Ex- exhaustion aside, I'm just I'm in a good state of mind right now. Mm-hmm. I had people on our Discord server like, dude, you're you're way too chipper for for just having a, a, a week old baby. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, but you know what? All things considered, I feel pretty damn blessed right yep. now. How are you doing? Feeling good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just uh, trying to relearn the newborn stuff. Yeah. That was, it's funny how it like feels like forever ago, but you still kind of remember, but you also don't. Um, so. Yeah. But yeah, feeling good. 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 And, uh, you know, like what I mentioned earlier, bringing him home to Aria also brought into mind all the ways that you have to prepare for your I don't know, existing child? I don't know. What's the term that you use? First kid. Your first kid, at least, uh, to to prepare them for bringing this new baby in. And, and I have some thoughts and ideas I've been documenting, and I'm actually going to be recording a YouTube video kind of talking about some of that. Um, if you haven't checked out our YouTube channel, we have a um, – I'm starting to document some some parenting tips and some parenting advice over there, um, including some of the, the ways that we've decorated um, Jake's room in the nursery and some of our essentials kind of as parents and want to welcome you guys to watch some of those videos and to uh, provide some thoughts and, and feedback on that. If you head to incastmedianetwork.com, there's a link there to the YouTube channel and I encourage you to watch some of that. All the episodes of the Dad Chronicle are up there too if you if you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube. Um, but I'm still planning on releasing these episodes regularly. We've got guests lined up. Um, additional content kind of lining up while this kid is, uh, you know, as I'm on uh, parental leave from work. So you could still look forward to that. And um, yeah, I, I'm I'm really loving life right now, man. Loving life. It's good having two kids. But this is it. I, I think we're done. Oh, I'm done. Oh, uh, we're done. <laughs> After this ordeal, it was... It was I was already scary. done and... I looked at her in the middle of it, and you had mentioned that again. I was like, "Yeah, I'm done too. Yeah. This is it." I, I think it was like four o'clock, and I like looked at you, and I was like, "I'm never doing this again." Yeah, you're like, "I'm I completely agree. okay with that." Yeah. So anyway, so it's documented. Who knows what's going to happen now? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Well, Deanna, thanks so much uh, for being here, and everybody at home. If you'd like to write in or provide any thoughts on our conversation today, feel free to email the Dad Chronicle Podcast at gmail.com. And again, if you'd like to check out those videos I was talking about, head over to uh, incastmedianetwork.com or thedadchronicle.com. There's a link to our YouTube channel there. And uh, be good to yourself. Be good to others. Baby Jacob. And uh, Deanna, thanks so much for your time. Yeah. If you like this show, check out more great content at incastmedianetwork.com.